Welcome to Toonspiracy, where music and conspiracies collide. Every two weeks, we'll put on our detective hats, grab our magnifying glasses, and dive deeper into the strangest music-related conspiracy theories from around the world. From around the world. Brace yourself for impact. Toonspiracy experience will begin in three, two, one. Welcome back to Toonspiracy, everyone. I'm your host, Chris, and boy, you're all in for a weird one today. So, you all know Debbie Harry, the lead singer of Blondie, right? Well, did you know that she claims to have been abducted by Ted Bundy? Yes, that Ted Bundy. Serial killer Ted Bundy who claimed the lives of at least 30 women. I don't know about you, but it's hard to escape the topic of Ted Bundy nowadays. It seems like hashtag Ted Bundy is constantly trending on social media. And when it's not, there's various documentaries, movies, articles, and videos all circulating around the web bringing his horrific actions back to light. I'd be lying to you if I was to say I'm not totally intrigued by the Ted Bundy craze that's been going around. I watched the recent Netflix documentary called Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes, and I was completely blown away by it. I learned so much about Ted Bundy's life and grew an even deeper hatred for the man that I had already despised so greatly. Also, am I really a millennial if I hadn't watched the Netflix movie titled Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile? Zac Efron portrayed Ted Bundy in this feature-length film, and let me tell you, did this film stir up some controversy or what? With all of this hubbub evolving around Ted Bundy recently, I thought to myself, what a perfect conspiracy theory to cover this week. So without further ado, let's jump into this case. Before diving into the supposed interaction between Debbie Harry and Ted Bundy, let's take a step back and dissect both of their backstories for a little more context. Debbie Harry, best known for being the lead singer of the new wave band Blondie, was born in Miami, Florida in 1945. Before launching her singing career, she moved to New York City in the late 60s and worked there as a secretary for BBC Radio's office. After that stint, she worked a menagerie of gigs, including being a waitress, a go-go dancer, as well as a Playboy bunny, which I must say, perfectly fits into her rocky, new-wavy, punk disco persona. In the late 60s, Harry began her musical career as a backup singer for a folk rock group named The Wind in the Willows, performing alongside them for a handful of years. A little ways down the road, she eventually joined a group named The Stilettos, and shortly thereafter, founded the group Blondie, which was named after the catcalls men often directed towards her because she bleached her hair blonde. Her well-defined photogenic figure, bold choices of clothing, and vibrant blonde hair quickly rocketed her status as a punk icon in the 70s music scene. Following her feature on the cover of The Rolling Stone, Harry further embodied her persona of being the fluent, streetwise, and sexually fearless woman that she already claimed to be. Blondie's peak of fame came in 1978 when they released their third album, Parallel Lines, which became a global success. It included well-known hit Heart of Glass, which was the second highest selling single of 1979 and was later followed by another platinum selling album the following year. Outside of her face-meltingly epic music and monstrous success, 
Harry was known for her friendship with legendary artist Andy Warhol and was actually the first guest on his MTV show, Andy Warhol's 15 Minutes. The first episode opened with Harry proclaiming the theme as being sex, vegetables, brothers, and sisters. When approached about her relationship with Warhol, she stated, I think the best thing Andy taught me was to always open up about things, be open to new music, new style, new bands, new technology, and just go with it. Never get mired in the past, and always accept new things whatever age you are. As much as I'd love to continue highlighting the badassery of Blondie, I feel like you all have a pretty good snapshot of what Debbie Harry was like. With Harry's background now covered, let's review the other person in this case, none other than the notorious Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy, as most of you probably already know, was a serial killer who kidnapped, raped, and murdered numerous young women during the 1970s. After more than a decade of denial, before his execution in 1989, he confessed to the murders of 30 individuals from the years 1974 to 1978. If that's not crazy enough, these murders happened across seven different states. Yes, seven. One of the main contributors to Bundy's homicide count was the fact that he was seen as a handsome and charismatic man, traits that he would often exploit to gain his victim's trust. Bundy was known to approach women in public places while acting as either an injured or disabled person, or sometimes even portraying an authority figure such as a police officer. Once Bundy was able to lure his victims close enough, he would then overpower them and drive them to secluded locations where he would murder them, usually after performing depraved acts to them. Outside of Debbie Harry's claims, which I swear we'll cover shortly, I want to talk about a Ted Bundy survivor. This woman has a first-hand account of escaping the clutches of Bundy. This woman's name is Rhonda Stapley. Stapley was abducted by Bundy in 1974, close to the inception of Bundy's murder spree. She was a student at the University of Utah, and was approached by Bundy at a bus stop where she was sitting and waiting for her bus that was running behind schedule. Stapley recounted that, quote, This tan Volkswagen drove by, and the driver offered me a ride and I accepted it and got in. Being that her bus was well behind schedule, this man could have been her saving grace. She also noted that, quote, He was very nice, polite, well-dressed. He looked like a college student, and he presented himself as a college student. He told me that he was a law student. He was going up to the university, too, so it was right on his way. It wouldn't be too out of his way for him to drop me off. And then he turned away that didn't seem normal, like the typical route you'd go to the university. And I asked him about that and he said, I hope you don't mind, but I have a little errand I need to run up to the zoo. And so then we went up the canyon. Bundy continued to drive around and Stapley came to the realization that he was looking for a secluded place, presumably to have sex with her. He pulls in finally to a picnic area that's kind of deserted, Stapley said. He pulls back into the trees a little ways and stops the car and turns it off. And then he turned in his seat so he was almost facing me and leaned in really close. I thought he was going to kiss me. But instead he said, you know what? I'm going to kill you. And then he put his hands on my throat and started squeezing and shaking me. It was there that Bundy strangled and raped Stapley repeatedly. He would choke her, then revive her over and over again. 
When she finally gained consciousness, she saw Bundy messing around in the back of the vehicle, where he was most likely gathering the tools to murder Stapley. It was then when she realized that it was a now-or-never moment to escape his clutches. She jumped and ran in the opposite direction of him, into the pitch-black night. Stapley trudged the 15 miles back home and made it back to safety. Traumatized by the events, she finally came forward with the details of the event in 2016, following a post-traumatic episode sparked by a work incident. Guys, I don't know about you, but I cannot fathom the horrors that Stapley faced, and I pray that she and the other survivors can find some solace and resolution for these unspeakable acts of violence against them. However, now with the proper foundation laid, providing both background on Harry and Bundy, as well as a typical victim, let's cannonball into this case. According to several interviews in which Harry participated, she believes to have met Bundy on a hot summer's night in New York City in 1972. At the time, she was trying to get across the city from one side of Manhattan to the other, all while wearing classic Debbie Harry-style large platform shoes. Her struggle to hail the taxi must have caught Bundy's attention like a predator hunting prey. Here's what Harry wrote about this encounter from her run-in with Bundy. This excerpt is taken from her 2012 biography titled Blondie, Parallel Lives. So this is all going to be Debbie Harry talking right now. Quote, It was late at night and I was trying to get across Houston Street from the Lower East Side to 7th Avenue. For some reason there were no cabs and I was wearing these big platform shoes. This car kept circling round and round. This guy was calling out, Come on, I'll give you a ride. Finally, I gave in and got in the car. I realized I messed up big time. For one, it was really hot in the car and the windows were rolled all the way up to the top. The guy had a white shirt and he was very good looking. Then I realized this guy had the worst BO I had ever smelled. Then I looked over to the door to crank down the window and I saw that there was no door handle, no crank. I cast my eyes around and saw that the car had been gutted. There was nothing in there. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up. So I stuck my arm out through the crack in the window and managed to open the door from the outside. I was so lucky. In other interviews that took place with Harry, she stated that when Bundy saw her trying to open the door, he took the corner really fast, which spat her out of the car and landed her into the middle of the street. The biography stated, quote, At the time, I didn't know anything about Ted Bundy. I just thought, thank God, I got away from that asshole. In the same biography that I mentioned earlier, Harry apparently didn't come to the realization that it could have been Ted Bundy until after his execution, when she came across a Newsweek magazine article written about him. Well, as convinced as Debbie Harry may be about brushing shoulders with Ted Bundy, Let's take a step back and do a little fact-checking and validation. Out of the 30 women that he murdered, they almost all came from the Pacific Northwest of the United States. These states were Colorado, Oregon, Utah, and Washington. The only confirmed murders of Bundy's that took place outside of the Northwest happened in Florida when he escaped from prison in Colorado and drove to Florida murdering two women after breaking into their sorority house. While the odds may not be looking good now, 
I did discover that Bundy lived near New York while studying and living with his grandparents who lived in Philadelphia. According to Google Maps, Philly is only 94 miles away from NYC. Definitely a doable trip if you ask me. The next thought that probably came into your head is, so what exactly is the time frame of all of this? Is there even the possibility that they were in the same place at the same time? Bundy's first confirmed kill was 1974, so the fact that Debbie Harry says their encounter happened in 1971 means that she would have possibly been the first victim, being three years before his first body. As depraved and as sick as Bundy was, who even knows if 1974 was his first victim? Maybe he had been killing for years already. Bundy was also known to travel vast distances to kill women, dispose of their bodies, and even return to their decaying corpses to have sex with them. The women killed in Florida are a perfect example. Bundy would have needed to travel over 1,600 miles to get from Colorado to Florida to claim his victims there. So, to some degree, no location in the continental United States is really out of the question to me. There is one key thing that really stands in the way of me believing Debbie Harry, and it's the fact that Bundy's car description seems completely different than the infamous light brown Volkswagen Beetle that he would drive. Not only that, but Bundy was known to have the passenger seat removed in his car, making it easier for him to lay bodies down flat to avoid suspicion when driving around. Coinciding with this, Bundy was never known to have stripped most of his interior out of his car. Again though, I want to remind you, this would be three years before his first confirmed murder. Maybe he had a different MO at the time. A lot can change over three years. Then again, maybe this wasn't Bundy driving the car. Maybe Harry had it wrong the entire time and it was another twisted individual looking to take advantage of her. Finally, what if Harry came up with this story for extra publicity and exposure? When she came forward with this information in 1989, Blondie wasn't even together anymore. Their band broke up seven years prior and didn't get back together until 1997. Maybe she was looking for a way to stay relevant during this tenacious dry spell. Whatever the truth may be, the thought of Debbie Harry crossing paths with Ted Bundy is a strange thought to digest. I would absolutely love your feedback on this case. What do you think happened? Please follow us at Toonspiracy on Facebook and Twitter and at Toon.Spiracy on Instagram to voice your thoughts and feelings. Through social media, you can join in the conversation and stay up to date on future and past cases that I cover. Thanks again for listening, everyone. This is Chris, signing off. Conspiracy is brought to you by Burma Media. All of the views and statements made in this episode are not necessarily fact and serve as assumptions using existing publicly available information. Thanks again for listening, Conspiracy Theorists, and we'll see you again in two weeks.